Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, no normal, normal. Yo. Yeah, he offered me just now, and then I declined. But now that you ask, I kind of want to say yes. <laughs> so yeah, it actually is really nice. But don't tell him that I said that. Okay. Thanks, Jake. Yeah. Should we do a nice neo neo platonist? The intro got cut out, but That's you also right. had some other things to add, so go ahead. Well, I would say um, there are a couple of useful resources for this because um, I'm very well aware that I'm not an expert on what I'm talking about, uh, specifically regarding these, or especially regarding these subject matters. So there are some, like there's a very useful talk by Bishop Barron regarding the, the buffered selves and the three transcendentals, which he refers to uh, Van Balthasar and also DC Schindler who talk about this a lot. So maybe I'll link, we can link to, to yeah. the book in the description by DC Schindler and specifically the chapter on the primacy of beauty, the centrality of goodness and the ultimacy of truth. Um, and we can then also, and which by the way, also what Bishop uh, Barron refers to, maybe we can even link like a couple of images, but I'm not sure. And then just look at the description because there's also links to other talks that might help to illuminate on this subject matter because they might be able to say far more insightful things than we were able to do in this talk. Nonetheless, I hope you were able to bring you something exciting and insightful. Good. Thank you. Yeah, no, uh, thank you for having me in our elderly home where we're, um, yeah, we're gathered here for Christmas and uh, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's very nice to be able to do this in person because mm -hmm. it feels like, uh, I, I think, I watched this talk by uh, Peugeot the other day, like, he's like, it's almost, it's one reason why people think, like, you know, uh, whoever Christ is, like, he can't have been born, like, uh, near the December the 25th, because it's too perfect, right? It's like, yeah. it's that time of the year when the days are, are so, are so brief that it's like, yeah, okay, it's, it's, it's the perfect moment where everyone needs to come together and we need to celebrate light and all that, uh, so, yeah, I'm happy to do this here, um, in purpose, uh, in person. It feels good. Um, and other than that, I have to already say beforehand, I've been talking, speaking mostly to, uh, I should say it, to the fact of, like, fact of the matter that, that I do know a lot about. Like, so let's say someone like Nietzsche, uh -huh. um, and I have some expertise in, in, in it. And this, I have some, let's say, marginal uh, interest and insight. Well, I have a huge interest and in, in awe for it. But I would say I have a marginal expertise in it in the sense that I've taught some of these some subject matters that pertain directly to the transcendentals and to the virtues, um, uh, particularly Aristotelian virtue ethics. But other than that, uh, I'm also a little bit of an outsider. So if there are any experts watching, um, I do apologize beforehand if I'm making any mistakes. And <laughs> no, that makes you the perfect guest. Because <laughs> I think Karen says it really wonderfully. She always says, we both don't know exactly what we're talking about, but mm -hmm. I think that that makes you able to operate uh, also with uh, outside of mm -hmm. the expertise. Because if you have a lot of known territory, it can mm -hmm. impede your ability to to draw right. connections. Sometimes, yeah, you're on a journey, right? You're still uh, and uh, and I can tell like all the now that I'm still let's say discovering this um, subject matter. So I um, I just pulled this out of like uh, this is our dad's book collection. Uh, him being a theologian, being interested in like an author like Pseudo-Dionysus. Um, I just looked into this and it's just so fascinating to see um, him referring to both Plato and Paul, but from someone uh, like from the 5th century. And he is actually, the reason why it's called Pseudo-Dionysus because it's a pseudonym for actually an unknown author because mm -hmm. it is mentioned in the Bible, I think in the book of Acts, that uh, I think Paul... Uh, went to Athens mm -hmm. and he tried to convert like a, a community there and he just failed miserably and but then at the end it says like however you know there was one uh, there were one or one or two people who were convinced namely Dionysius the Areopagite um, and that's what this author used as a name for a long time but later was found out okay it wasn't actually the same one cool. it's uh, pseudo Dionysius that's why they call him pseudo Dionysius cool. so this was actually five centuries later yeah. but my point is uh, in um, reading through this it's just like uh, it yeah it makes me interesting because like there's so much I do not know about this and so much 
like for me these as i've kind of mentioned in previous podcasts with you is like these are two it's some some way separate worlds for me uh yeah. like okay you know i have my philosophical side uh with to which i'm like let's say fully committed especially at the moment now that uh like i'm, I'm, I'm employed in the yeah. domain of philosophy as well and i very thankful for that opportunity and at the same time you know i have let's say a more religious dimension to myself especially in my background and to some extent uh what i'm also committed to but uh as you know like i'm not a church goer for instance Mm so um so that's and 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 i'm always thinking like these are somewhat separate uh but in authors like pseudo dionysius i could find that they're they can like overlap very strongly so I'm, I'm very much encouraged by these subject matters of the three transcendentals and then the virtues so yeah I'm looking to forward to this things, talk yeah. amazing yeah. Where, where do you want to start exploring these uh, well we can start by um, by your own comment regarding Spinoza like you had a question I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember and that's kind of when I sent you uh, just a sort of a simplified image of the transcendentals and the virtues and how they relate to the mind. Do you remember the question you asked? Or? No. Okay, so I, I remember that you you were reading through Spinoza. Uh-huh. Uh, you brought this up also, I think, in your conversation with Ferveki, which I really enjoyed, by the way. Yeah. Um, I, I thought you did an excellent job, and I thought John did too. Like, uh, yeah, he's really just a good, good uh, really good guest. Um, and, yeah, like, you were reading through Spinoza. I think you were really enjoying it, you mm-hmm. mentioned. Mm-hmm. But... Spinoza is a rationalist. So, like, let's say he is, like, from the rationalist tradition following Descartes, and then you get uh, Leibniz and Spinoza who are both operating around the same time. Um, and I think what you notice was that Spinoza really places, uh, places a lot of emphasis on the power of reason. Uh, and yeah. I think reason in the strong sense, not like, let's say, in the... Oh, yeah. Even though he is following in uh, Descartes' footsteps, he's not, like... A Cartesian rationalist. No. He's really like like a, like the stronger sense of reason that we see appealed to by people like John Verveke or Daisy yeah. Schindler. Yeah. However, you still had the very justified question. Like, yeah, he talks about reason so much. Shouldn't like isn't like he actually says reason is super important, but shouldn't he then also be discussing the importance of truth and beauty and goodness? Yeah, I know? think he like said it was the most important thing. That's why yeah. I sent it to you. It was this quote of exactly, saying that you exactly. should follow reason yeah. above all else. And I thought that was a very justified question, but then I also, um, I was reminded of the fact like, yeah, in some ways, and this actually takes me to some knowledge that I have pertaining to Aristotle. Um, Aristotle, like he uh, wrote a book, or wrote a book, he yeah. had a, a series <laughs> of, he wrote so many books, like I should know, but he had a series of lectures uh, which were uh, named the uh, Nicomachean Ethics, from which we have Aristotelian Virtue Ethics. Um, so I think what we have remaining of it are his student uh, uh, notes by his students. But they're very enlightening and, uh, and illuminating. And he discusses all the virtues one by one, how they work. And he kind of says, like, you know, um, the way in which we practice the virtues is by using our reason. So for him, also, the reason is, let's say, the highest aspect okay. of or it's it's the most essentially human aspect to say it in very simple words. So for him, you could also say, like let's say from Spinoza's perspective, and um, some consider Spinoza a neo-Aristotelian, um, to be like, yeah, it's the most essential human aspect. So it is the highest in that sense. But then it's used to actually, you know, practice the virtues. Yeah. And then Aristotle, because he's less of a Platonist than Plato himself. Well, he might be more of a Platonist, but he's less of a Plato than Plato yeah. himself. Let me put it that way. Um, he is a little bit less interested in the transcendentals, uh, mm. something that Plato discusses. But you kind of see that, you know, and, and this is also present to some extent in Aristotle himself, that he knows that, you know, you use your, re- your, your reason to contemplate, for instance, uh, the, the, the truth or the good by which you can then exercise the virtues because, like, they stand in relation to our emotions. And I can tell a little bit more about that. But... Basically, my response ended up being like, yeah, I can see why Spinoza thinks this is the most important thing, because he's talking about a different domain, yeah. right? So he's talking about the essentially human domain, like what can we practice? And then like in that sense, yes, human is the reason in the broad sense, again, is our highest capacity. And then that is the capacity that allows us to even make something like truth or goodness or beauty intelligible and then relate that to the virtues that are then grounded in that so that's kind of like 
been my response to in, in yeah no it makes a lot of sense like reason is in service of mm-hmm. of the transcendentals and of the virtues and I guess the Aristotle thing also makes sense in its difference mm-hmm. with, with Plato because Aristotle does seem to be a bit more of the world let's say a bit more of that that scientific domain right yeah um, it's also like it's also an interesting difference right because Plato comes from uh, a Pythagorean tradition mm-hmm. so he is like mathematically trained and you yeah. can see that right like like how you know yeah. like how his philosophy <laughs> works and then uh, Aristotle I believe his his father was even um, a doctor right so like you could see like he's much more empirical and and then that comes to yeah uh, you can see that in their philosophical systems even though both like it's it's a complete parody of Plato to say that he only wants the world of ideas and hates of the sensible world and the same of Aristotle to say that he's just an empiricist thinker and he has, and that's by the way like uh, it's so interesting because like his entire Nicomachean ethics um, it consists of ten books in total uh, and the like so many books are actually dedicated to very practical virtues like let's say fortitude and justice but also let's say honesty the, the virtue of friendship um, it's actually a beautiful discussion of friendship that uh, Aristotle has so and, and these are all let's say very practical virtues and the reason why he discusses the virtues in the first place is because he prepares for his bigger work the politics mm. in which he wants to talk about what is let's say uh, what should law makers and let's say uh, polis city organizers pay attention to like sh- they should pay attention to a state that allows people to practice and exercise the virtues um, and yet in the 10th book he says okay but the highest virtue of all is that of if I'm not mistaken like it might be a different word for it because I've, uh, I I read the Dutch translation but I think like it does consist in contemplative activity mm. and he says so because that's actually when we most resemble the gods like that's actually the aspect in which human beings most resemble the gods so people are always like surprised by that because like it's the last book in this Nicomachean ethics when you should be getting to your conclusion like okay you know I'm really gonna tie it up to what's most important and then he starts sounding like a platonist again so Mm. you know it's uh, yeah it's kind of interesting how that how that works yeah and I was also reminded of this idea that if you do this this contemplative aspect mm-hmm. if you if you perform this then the rest kind of lines up if you know what i mean mm-hmm. like you don't have to teach um a buddhist monk the ten commandments because mm-hmm. it just comes forth from like of course yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm one with with all all yeah. being so why would i yeah have to and so that yeah so, so it makes sense like yeah yeah, yeah. reminds me of the the chakra system but <laughs> i shouldn't speak about that it's mm. way way beyond my uh, mm my expertise that's fine I'm, I'm speaking beyond my expertise too so don't oh, worry that's no good. about that okay so so we understand the transcendentals to be let's say the highest above mm-hmm. the virtues and if you follow your reason then you are let's say your reason can be in service of yeah those so it's almost like um, in some ways the transcendentals are the water in which we're swimming you could you could see it in that way so it's, it's almost um so it is it is the highest yes in some way so like mm-hmm. it, but at the same time it's it's the very conditions that allow us to experience reality in the way that it is so uh you know someone like Peugeot often as a like this is why John Faker calls him a neoplatonist like he talks about you know recognizing this as a cup is actually seeing the goodness of the cup is actually yeah. being able to to differentiate what makes this a unique thing and celebrate it and recognize it and be like yes that that's that's the cup as opposed to everything else that distracts from it at the moment you know like there are so many things in the background but also in the foreground like i, I could just be focusing on the handle of the cup or just the fact that it's made out of glass mm-hmm. but right now i'm really focused on like let's say the cupness of the cup uh <laughs> that might sound strange but that that is actually to um to say in some ways that it is participating then in the good like the good allows me this is kind of like this is plato's discussion in the republic um to say like you know the way in which our intellect participate in the good is the same way in which our our sight our our, our capacity to 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 see things 
uh, participates in, and this is going to sound strange, but in the sun. And that's strange because, like, you know, you have, you have these, the character of Socrates talking to, I think, uh, Glaucon at the time. Um, and he says, like, you know, uh, when we hear something, it seems like we only need our, our ears mm. and obviously a sound. Like, those are the two elements that, yeah. that you need. And then, obviously, Plato wasn't aware that there is also, like, a medium between <laughs> those two that's necessary because that's... Uh, well, let's cut him some slack. It's the 5th century before Christ. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he says, like, yes, but that's not the case uh, when we're talking about sight, like when we're talking about seeing, because then we have, you know, okay, so we have our eyes, right? And then we have an object, mm-hmm. but is that it? And then it's like, well, hmm, no, I don't know. I don't know. What are you talking about? It's like, well, there needs to be a third element, right? Light. That's correct. Yes. Because otherwise, we'd just be blind. Like, if it would be in the dark, we wouldn't be able to see it. So... Plato is really um, pointing our attention to the fact there's always this 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 third element mm-hmm. which allows us and he that's why he calls it like the sun which allows it uh, allows us to see these things in the first place and really appreciate them for what they are. But then he goes further because it's like it's not just that we're able to see things because of the light of the sun. It's also that the light of the sun is that which gives every life it's energy right like it wouldn't be able to exist without the light of the sun Mm. so he's going as far as to say and that's the same thing as what the good is doing with the the idols like right like it's the the idols the greek word for ideas forms yeah aspectuality it's a difficult translation because ideas sound way too conceptual like we're just talking about of course yeah you know what i mean yeah um um so i'm just gonna say idols right now uh in that same way that we're able to contemplate those and it's not because we have a direct contemplation of it. It's by virtue of the good that we're able to, you know, like that we're participating in being able to recognize that. So both in the sense of, you know, like like light is allowing us to see something. So therefore the good is allowing us to recognize it. But also it's actually the origin of us of us as, let's say, um, thinkers, as, as, as experiencers, if I can call it that way, yeah. as, as experiencing uh, rational thinking animals and then at the same time also as all the objects in the world which allow it to be seen um and then you know we can also talk about uh, beauty and truth that, could, that might come a bit later but that's like at least plato's discussion of the good yeah. which for him is the absolutely highest value yeah so do, does the good stand above the true and the beautiful because in plato I've, yes yes right because yeah. i've seen jonathan Peugeot almost equating yeah the good with god yeah might be a bold question, but would you do the same? Well, so that, 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 that's the thing. Like, I, I started reading like uh, uh, Dionysius, as I said, and for him, they're just the same. It's like okay. it's, and, and that's also radical because usually, like people, you know, because they're a bit closer to Plato, and I think most people associate, even like most Christian thinkers, you know, because like this is there's always a discussion like was he a Christian thinker? Yes or no? Like mm-hmm. he's just a. I I I, I, I even heard said like. Um, was he just, let's say, uh, a pagan thinker, but in Christian sheep's clothing, you know, something like that. So that's kind of interesting. But usually, like, they'll associate also goodness more with God than the beautiful, maybe, or the, yeah. what, than, than beauty. Yeah. And that's why people are more prone to say, like, well, you know, beauty, it discloses some aspect of the good, or it discloses some aspect of it. Like, it, it makes it... Yeah, it's kind of an aesthetic that lures us in to then experience the goodness. And there's something, there's so many things to be said for that. So I'm not against that. But in him, and he's he's a radical again. Like he says, like no, they're just the same. Like it's like the beautiful and the good. We can really equate them. And one reason why that's also interesting for let's say a Christian theological perspective is because we talk about. So like now we're talking about uh, the true, the good, and the beautiful. In a Christian theological perspective, you could be talking about the trinity right it's like Mm -hmm. you know it's the father the son and the holy spirit and they're all god just like these are all the one at the same time but they're not the same precisely the same as each other Mm -hmm. so again there's always this question like do we order them or are they all the same thing but then how are they different and you could ask the same question regarding the trinity yeah because i mean same with the trinity you have the the father the son and the holy spirit yeah but I think if the Father is God, mm-hmm. then you could also analogize that there, mm-hmm. that he's both participating, but he's also fully it. Right, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. same with the good. 
Yeah, usually I, I think they have they have like Latin graphs. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. But like when it's in Latin, it's like you know it's uh, or I can also let's tra translate it to English. So you have uh, the Holy Spirit and you have a God, uh, the Father and you have Jesus and then God is in the middle and it's like actually saying um, that the Father is God but also the Holy Spirit is God and Jesus is God. So all of those are equated with God. But then Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father and the Father is not Jesus, is not the Son, you know? So that's usually how it's said. And you could say something similar for the transcendentals, you know, like the true mm -hmm. and the good and the beautiful are all the one. But the true is not the good and the good is not the beautiful. Yes. So it's, 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 uh, I find it really tough because there are so many varying perspectives on this, but I can, we can keep talking and then maybe we can talk about maybe some sensible order because DC Schindler also says, uh, I think he calls it like the, uh, he, said, he has a chapter in the Catholicity of Reason and even though he is a Catholic, it doesn't have to do with like, let's say Catholic in the denominational sense, but yeah. just Catholic and pertaining to the whole. Yes. Um, that which is also different from the Cartesian reason which we've talked about mm. uh, and that he also argues you know like they're all <laughs> they're all ultimate in some sense yeah which is why he describes them as like has it having the primacy of the of of the of beauty but then the centrality of goodness and the ultimacy of truth if i'm not mistaken i think those those are the orders like that that he gives to it but then he also says like this is like this is one way of ordinary or, or ordering and you could do it in a different way but then he does give arguments why he thinks they're ordered in that way mm. so it's kind of um yeah it's a fuzzy subject matter and that's part of the appeal that like there is a mystery to it and you can kind of see like if you get rid of it you miss out on so much yeah. so you want to keep it but then when you keep it you can't fully comprehend it because again it's the water in which we're swimming. Like you can, yeah. you can never be fully aware of the water in which you're, which you're swimming, especially not in propositional terms, right? It's like something, no. like you know, uh, and, and even it's, it's kind of funny that I'm using that metaphor now because I was listening to a, a conversation between Dietrich Schindler and John Verveke in which he quoted Hegel about Kant <laughs> because Hegel has like one sentence apparently which he refers to Kant as like you know Kant just wanted to uh, find out as much as he could about the water before he would swim in it, right? Mm, yeah. And that's sort of like a, a, a different, like he wouldn't, he, he didn't want to get his, his, his feet wet. He didn't want to like get in. He was just like, okay, let me just analyze them. And then, well, we know this, like you can't fully infer everything mm. just from this theoretical perspective. Of course. But we can still talk about the place of reason then, but I'm curious like if you have any thoughts, like, yeah, what yeah, comes to mind? I have some thoughts. The funny thought I have is that in Egyptian, you have a word, um, that means both good and beautiful. Mm. So they actually did, right. it, okay. did it. And it's funny because it's shaped like a cross. Really? Well, it's, so it's a cross. <laughs> yeah, but it's before, of course. It's a yeah, okay, yeah, but I mean, I could get it's anticipate. It's like a cross and then a, mm -hmm. a little like this, this shape. It's an oval shape, basically an oval. And then you have the neck and you have a cross. And it's actually supposed to represent a, a guitar. Mm -hmm. Really? <laughs> like a, yeah, a guitar violin, like some sort of... Uh, instrument like do that you, have, did you do any reading or research on why you think they're equated in the the good and the, and the beautiful yeah no i'm not sure because I'm again sure like this is the fifth century you know yeah. like it's so much later and also this was a radical notion at the time so it's kind of i mean it but it's yeah. same similar with love you know like uh the greeks had, had four different terms of love and we have we bring it down to one I think you can do that with a lot of different things. Like you can mu multiply and you can unify, yeah. let's say. Yeah. So in, in many ways, the good and the beautiful are very close to each other. Yeah. But once you create different terms for them, then you can start to see their differences. Yeah. That's what language can do. Language can com compartmentalize, but it yeah. can also broaden, what, yeah. which is why our, our sense of love is so cool mm -hmm. in a way. Like Peugeot says, like, we, we talk about the Greeks all the time, like they're so cool with their agape and their eros. Yeah. But actually it's quite powerful to group all of those things into each other, like yeah, yeah. romantic love. And yeah. So, so, yeah, exactly. So I and, think, yeah. And, and he also thinks that someone like uh, Christ is uh, like a figure that does that too, right? Like that he is like, yeah. that, that I think he responded to like the criticism it's like, well, you know, Christ is nothing new. Like, he's basically the culmination of everything that came before. And he's like, you know how impressive that is? Like, just to like, you know, all these like vastly different things. And he's able to reconcile them into one, 
like basically one life, one philosophy, one way of living, one centrality. It's like that's amazing. Like that that is literally universality starting. And yeah. now we're talking about universal human rights and all that as if it's like normal. It's yeah. like well, maybe that needed some preparation, right? Like that yeah. is like that we could conceive of actually all these vastly different contexts, times, you know, um, regions, and actually them all being like underneath, like subservient to one common mm. category. Yeah. Like that's a Christian thing. And now you, you, we can also see the dark side of that, right? It's like, mm. you know, we all need to like get to your, let's say, if, if I dare say, like your, your, your Bitcoin fascination, yeah. right? It's like to be like, that's also, it's scared of the centralization because it wants to centralize everything one thing yeah. yeah then you go to the other side yeah exactly and then you glorify decentralized but yeah. it's always so funny because it's this idea of um, decentralization that's so important right now yeah and i think one time there was this guy on breedlove's podcast it was like yeah you know i mean decentralized is just because right now it's very centralized you guys realize that right like we need to respond to the tide underneath like mm-hmm. if you're always decentralizing at some point you're yeah. just going to disintegrate it's yeah, yeah. like libertarian ideas in a, in a certain world where yeah. there's a lot of statism and stuff like that, it makes more sense. But yeah. once that's all... Exactly, yeah. Like, it's all, you know... It, it's, it can be, let's say, like, the margins, right? To yeah. The, to, to, to the center. Yeah. And then it's okay. Um, but it's hard to see how you can build some or construct something on top of that. And that's also, like, uh, do, do you know um, the YouTube channel Rebel Wisdom? Yeah. Like, uh, so they're actually not active anymore. Yeah, and I that's, Paul speak about yeah, it. Exactly. We and, 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 and part of the reason for that is that uh, I think uh, David, who is like the main, uh, um, David Fuller, yeah. he is, let's say, the main guy, I think, together with, um, forget his name, but like they're, they're both, let's say, behind Rebel uh-huh, Wisdom. Uh-huh. And they have been interviewing people like Jonathan Pajot, and he also said like, you know, I don't really want to associate with these labels like intellectual dark web or Rebel Wisdom. I'm like, these are not... You know, actually, yeah. central things where you can construct something on, like it's, yeah, it's you're understandable. A counter movement. Yeah, exactly. You you are a counter movement, yeah. and it's like that's not something you can build something out of. Yeah, like you're really sense. going against the system, and that's he's saying like that's necessary. But he also realized that's what I think is the beauty of that. Let's say um, the end of that channel is that they were like, yeah, it's like we've done our work now, and now it's time for like a new era, right? Like mm. we've we've been on the rebellious side. But we yeah, can't stay in that forever. Like yeah. now, it's it's time for a new era. It was yeah. the part to play then, but yeah. now it's becoming more and more centered. And you see that with, of course, Jordan Peterson's movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Art movement is like, oh, this is actually turning into quite. Which <laughs> why I was something so I was so interested in to see to see what uh, both John and um, Paul thought about it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was a good question. Yeah, yeah it was very. And curious. I share their concerns. Like honestly, like. Yeah. I, I I think neither of us is, is a particular fan of let's say the political side of of Jordan no. Peterson in general. Um, so <laughs> you know, it's yeah. yeah, it's interesting to see where it goes. But yeah, okay, let's pull back yeah. to, to the right. transcendentals yeah. because right. I think there's a lot more to say about it. For sure, yeah. Is there something you is a place you want to dig into it? So there's, I, th- I think we can talk about. Um, I would like to talk about beauty, maybe. So the thing is, like, with the transcendentals, again, because it's so mysterious, just mm-hmm. like with the Trinity, like, you can keep talking about, like, the Trinity as a complete concept of Trinity, but one way of talking about it is just talking about the Father, yeah. where it's just talking about the Son, or yeah. talking about the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's and now, necessary. Yeah, exactly, because, yeah. like, they all, really, like, they're all one way in to eventually, like, and sometimes they equate it because, like, someone like uh, Jesus says, like, you know, I am the truth, so they equate him with the truth mm-hmm. so you can also do that but it's, it's a bit fuzzy because usually they also overlap in other respects um, so I think we can start talking about beauty if you like mm-hmm. um, and the reason why beauty it's actually it's a latecomer so this is indeed the fifth century but I think it was formalized into one of the three transcendentals in I think by Aquinas or like around the time so like you have you have Philip the Chancellor, I know, and eventually formalized to like the notion of the three transcendentals by Aquinas. So that's, I'd say, like the 12th century or something like that. So it's actually fairly recent that we talk about it in this way. Um, at the same time, um, one particular reason why 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 beauty is so interesting. Like, I'm, I'm curious. Like, before filling you in on it, do you have any? Do you have any sense on which way they should be ordered? Like the true, the good, and the beautiful. Yeah. Do you have? Yeah. Well, I'm inclined toward thinking that the good is, say, the most important. Mm-hmm. 
simply because I think it's the only one that I could start to equate with God, mm-hmm. let's say. Um, I've often toyed with this in my, my journal. I have like a little pocket journal that I write ideas in now. And I was thinking about whether or not if an idea is good, if it's also beautiful mm-hmm. and true. And same vice versa. So yeah, I was like yeah, yeah. playing with these ideas. That's good. That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just like... Did you, did, you, did you have any results? Like, did you find any ideas that were good but not true or true but not beautiful? Or like, how? I think that there's a lot of those examples yeah. in a sense, but it's also the question, what kind of truth are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. You know, there's some really mundane, Samaras type of truths that are necessarily beautiful. Yeah. But what, I've, what I have been finding very interesting is evaluating ideas based on their beauty. Mm-hmm. So this is not exactly answering your question, but it's, it's something that I've been interested in playing with, like this idea of uh, we have too many people on the on the planet, mm-hmm. and Jordan gets like super riled up when he speaks about it. But but like, and fair fair play to him, because a lot of people like they they espouse this, they don't fully realize what they're saying, but it's also not a very beautiful idea. Mm-hmm. Let's right. say that's a good point. Yeah, and, and so um, yeah, that, that that that's a quick side thought. Yeah, have I thought about the the order of them? Well, those are like, I think one reason why it isn't, because obviously, like, I think we should be open for criticism in any way, like on any domain, like you should yeah, be able to be, to, to be critical, but usually you're like, okay, um, usually you're critical from a perspective of something you hold dear, right? Because yeah. I value this, yeah. because I'm, I'm deeply like faithful towards this, uh, I find it problematic that this is happening, something like that. And that's... You could say like one reason, if you just say, you know, there's too many humans on the planet, that could be from because humanity at its core is a disease and needs to be eradicated. Mm. That could be that value. Like it, we don't know. Or it could be like, because actually I'm very concerned about the future of humanity. Yeah. Like, and actually I think humans should live like prosperously, like in harmony with the mm. earth. And mm. that's why I'm actually concerned that maybe, you know, we're doing more than what we're owed. Maybe we're like, we're too hubristic yeah. with, uh, with regard to the earth. And at the same time, we also have our place in it. But you know, like that's, yeah. that shows you like that you're valuing yeah. something. That's the that underlying you're, thing. You're concerned. Well. So, and, and that's also why it's a dangerous idea because usually people who just, who just criticize, like it's unclear what motivation they're coming from. And I would say often, if you're just criticizing without focusing on what you're valuing on, you're, maybe um very resentful you know like and, yeah. and that we see that in for instance conspiracy theorists we see that in radical anarchists you know like and again like i'm not in principle opposed to any of these movements i'm just yeah. saying just and that's i guess my my nietzschean aspect is like i'm very concerned about the spirit of resentment you know like it's like that spirit by itself is is so like and and i think that's one thing i mentioned in karen wang's podcast like if you're not careful, you don't know what you're cultivating within yourself mm. to the point that, like, as long as you're anonymous, like, who knows what you're... What yeah, you're it reminds me of Jung, who who speaks about mm. that, you, that you're acting out a story. Yeah. And that if you don't know what you're acting out, it might as well be a tragedy. It's <laughs> a very, very high chance that it yeah. is if you don't consciously aim at something. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, yeah. But but going back to, to answering your question, I think that intuitively, I would say the good for me... Mm-hmm. Is, is the most important like I try to be good yeah uh, I don't know any truly good person that's not beautiful let's say but there are beautiful people right. that are not good so that's it's, why intuitively I would say yeah. that I feel that beauty is, is lower and then I, I'm not yeah. sure where truth fits in like sometimes like I don't know if you've ever met like I don't know a saint or like a holy like person or uh, a monk or something like that sitting right next to me <laughs> <laughs> Far from it. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Far go, from go, it. Go. But um, but usually, if you if you meet those people, there's something that like that shines out of them, and that's like that Absolutely. beautiful aspect. And it's it's not related to let's say, you know, their their physical appearance. It's not related to their meat intake. Their yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> like it, it is very little to, little to do with that. And, and that's also which also shows like you know it's mind over matter because like you know like they just 
like they don't really care about what they're what they're eating yeah uh, or like maybe, maybe they do obviously in some ways but it's like they don't care from it like oh because they want to look as good as possible yeah like, no absolutely know? I've, I've um, definitely seen these individuals yeah yeah it's, and it's really something else and, and, and I would say like that's why DC Schindler argues and again he's very open for like uh, alternatives to this view but he says that that's why he says the the primacy of beauty because he thinks like the beautiful is most tied to sensation it's like you know mm. like because we really like we sense like if we see something that that's part of our sensation right like it's like it's like we 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 see beauty in front of us so it pulls us in mm. but to then see like you know like let, so let's say if if we encounter such an individual uh, and we find it beautiful it's like oh we can then find out oh but that's because you know they're good and why are they good oh because they're aligned to like let's say a, tr- a truthful way mm. of being mm. um and so so his point is like beauty is often like the first thing that just it, it, ju- it just it just takes us yes. by surprise yes it makes sense actually yeah. no, just saying it yeah that, that's his argument again no, you, can, you, you can think of, of other ways and is. this is also a problem because um beauty and like this is a, a like this is also you know like Vervecchio often talks about Paul Ricoeur and the, mm. the hermeneutics of suspicion. It's mm. like hermeneutics of suspicion is the notion that, you know, appearances, you know, the way things appear is actually like it discloses some deep, like perverse, powerful motive. You know, it's like, oh, you know, you think you're a good person, but actually like, you know, following Nietzsche, you're resentful. Yeah. It's like, or you think you're, you're, um, what do you what do you call it? Like you think you're working in a good system, mm-hmm. like a good progressive system, but actually you're being exploited by the capitalists. Yeah. Or, or for it, like you know, you think you're looking for a partner out of a genuine sense of love, but maybe you're just repressing your love of your mother. You know, like and <laughs> and the, the aggression you feel. You know, like so there's this sense of like, and we see this often. Like I, I actually, uh, I was in a. I, I, I have to admit, I was in a liberal arts and sciences bachelor program, and one thing we often do is like we look at a text and we just criticize it. We just like we're like, you know, like this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is problematic. Yeah, it's problematic, almost problematic. central actually. I yeah, exactly. In, in university nowadays, yeah, what I I've experienced a lot yeah. over the last three years. Of and that's and uh, and people are sometimes concerned that like let's say the effects of university have some downstream effect oh, into culture, right? And, and that absolutely. and that then we start looking at traditional stories and we're like. Well, that's problematic about it. That's problematic about it. That's problematic. And again, that has a positive function because you don't want to be deceived, right? But that's also then for Vicky's point is like, um, it's very important to notice, like, focus on that too. If you don't want to be deceived, you shouldn't just be focusing on, well, I I don't want to have this. You should also be focusing on, so what is it you want to be determined by? And that's why he says, like, the Mm -hmm. hermeneutics of beauty is also focusing on the appearances, but by the sense, like, that appearances can actually disclose a central aspect of reality it's mm. like so not actually of some of some hidden agenda or hidden motive like the hermeneutics of suspicion the hermeneutics of beauty can be like oh you know if you're if you're watching a great movie if you're listening to a great piece of art in some sense this is actually Nietzsche's point we should know that they're lies like they're not they're not true like if you're watching a movie it's acted out yeah. you know but if it's great art it's the appearance of that of that lie is actually disclosing something underneath yeah, like it, which is far more real, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's how beauty can really work in on us and, and something can be beautiful. But again, it can also be dangerous because like, you know, because you can, um, you can listen to the wrong kind of, to, 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 to dangerous art forms or dangerous kind of music or dangerous, uh, like you can be, you could find something, someone speaks beautifully to you, but it can just be like rhetorics and it can just mm. be, you know, bullshit in the yeah. like uh, Frankfurtian sense yeah, yeah, of the absolutely. word. So there's something very tricky about it. But mm. then if we see, like if we, if, if beauty is the transcendental that takes us from the appearance to the reality behind it, then we can discover, ah, this is good. Like there's a goodness about it to eventually like, yeah, right. This is the. The, the true way of being, which is why he says like the goodness is actually the central thing, which allows its beauty to sort of shine forth. But yeah. then the reason why it's good is actually because it's aligned in truth. And that's why the truth sort of comes last. Like you, yeah. you find out later in some ways that uh, the true has been so so central. So I, I think it's a it's it's a and that's it's 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 a bit unfortunate because like the notion of transcendental has also just like with reason it has been taken up. In philosophy, particularly in the philosophy of Kant, who speaks of 
transcendental idealism, transcendental realism, and his way is kind of he's appropriating that use of the word. He's saying I'm not talking not talking about the transcendent, like let's say you know another world. He's saying like no, I'm talking about the what do you call it? Like um, the 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 conditions that are necessary for us to experience. So he says like for instance, you know, from his notion of transcendental idealism, we can infer that space and time and causality and all these categories are the uh, the, the necessary like the prerequisites for us to experience reality so he's using that notion but he's not actually tying it into let's say something like an inexhaustible source yeah. like beauty or goodness or truth he's just using it as a category in some ways mm -hmm. you know like it, it it doesn't have have the same appeal to it and then from that perspective he can talk about you know reason having a huge demand on us and that's why he has also three critiques so kind of similar, like to, you know, like the Trinity and like the Transcendentals. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the critique of pure reason, the critique of practical reasons. That's indeed, you could say, pure reason is truth, practical reason is goodness. And then the critique of judgment. Uh, and judgment has to do with aesthetic judgment we make yeah. uh, about. So like, he, uh, that's his philosophy of art in some ways. Mm -hmm. And that could be beauty, beauty. But in some ways, like, they're separate domains yeah. in him, right? Like, they're not, they're not disclosing that actually... You know, they're pointing on towards something else. Now, no, we can just study them separately. Yeah. And then they have like an autonomy in some ways. And that risks giving us sort of the notion that, okay, our reason can do something by itself. Yeah. And it's like, no, but if we reason like, no, it, like, it's through beauty that we, that we experience the one, like the one reality and the, the way in which it is itself. We find that reason is participating in something. It's never mm -hmm. like, and that's, you could even say that Plato was like... Um, um, who was critical of the poets in some ways, which is, again, it, it's partly ironic because yes. he writes poetry, right? Yes. Like, and there's all these myths in the, in the mm. Republic and other works by him. So he's actually not against poetry. But in some ways he is because mm. poesis, like that notion that from which poetry derives, means to produce something. Mm. So it doesn't mean to, like, let's say, to... to to imitate or participate in something that's already there, but really to just like bring forth something out of your own capacity, right? Yeah. So it's and not, it's not interacting with, yeah, another reality. Yeah. It's, it's not inventio. It's yeah. just creation. Exactly, and, and that's why he is, he is concerned, um, like in the tenth book of the Republic, he also says like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about this. Uh, that's why, you know, in the Republic, if we create the ideal state, and again, this should all be taken with a grain of salt, because he never says, he even says in book nine, like, if this ideal city never uh, is brought into place, that's fine. <laughs> it just yeah. says, like, it's like, it's more like a model for the soul. Like, that's, and th so th 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 that's the most important thing. <laughs> and then other later thinkers, even in the 20th century, like Karl Popper, are like, you know, Plato's a totalitarian because he wants to create a it's totalitarian. It's just incredible. State. Like I've, yeah. I've, like for example, Yaron Brook, he's a Rand <laughs> thinker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, he's like, yeah, Plato with his philosopher king type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like, you're like, oh my god. <laughs> and it's 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 even worse because when I read Plato at at, at eighteen or nineteen, I felt exactly the same way. Mm. So yeah. Similar to how like when I read the New Testament for the first time, I was like. Mm. Jesus, why don't you just become king, man? It's, it's up for grabs. Yeah, just yeah, become yeah. king, bro. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Yeah, no. Yeah, no it, it, it does make a lot of sense. Yeah. And that's also like, I think, uh, so, but then nonetheless, so, okay, given that context, he says like in uh, book 10, like, yeah, we, we, we should ban the poets probably from the, for, from the Republic. He gives three arguments. He gives a, a moral argument, a psychological argument, and an epistemo no, epistemological argument and a metaphysical argument mm -hmm. that, you know, art is just reflection from a reflection because this is already a reflection from, yeah. well, this certainly because it's a fake rose. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> <like> a <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's a reflection of a reflection. Yeah, but we don't need, need, need to get into that. And yeah. But he even allows at the end of this section, he says like, you know, but we'll grant if there will be a good argument made for art, it might be able to exist in our state. Yeah. So he, he says, like, you know, I'm not against art per se, but I am against the naive notion of art yeah. that is like that, you know, all art is, is, is good and all art motivates us. Like, we need to be careful because some art could also prefer us in some ways. Yeah. And But then it's so funny because, like, then in book 10, like, he's finished that discussion and then obviously he'll introduce another myth. So it's like he's yeah. just said, like, myths are not welcome. And I think one potential, and it's a, it's a common interpretation, um, well, it's not super common, but it's like is to say like yeah what plato does is he's, he's not against myth he's just showing we need to think very carefully about the nature of reality by mm. you know thinking about the transcendentals mm. like the truth the good and the beautiful 
after which we can then you know uh, integrate myths and art and all yeah. that to make sure they participate yes, exactly. in everything that They're we talked about and, right and what Kant did is he yeah kind of like exactly disconnected yeah exactly because then you're like oh i could just produce myself and i was like no no we first need to need to be uh like we need to receive right we need to receive what's already there we need to receive the good as as it is and then you can kind of see as we participate in that then we can create art and really the art and that's why you know dante's divine comedy like you get those types of artworks that are really profound and, and probably share in that vision yeah i was thinking about modern art a while back because uh well, I went to France and we went to this museum and there was a gigantic section of modern art. Mm. And I came in and I was really bothered by it, like physically bothered. And basically I was I was just helped by my partner and her mother just to see like mm. how they experienced it because they, they did see something in there. And I didn't, I didn't understand exactly what bothered me so much about it. For me, it just felt like there was no skill involved and there was no connection to beauty. Mm-hmm. So, so, so in that sense. Mm-hmm. But more deeply, I think um, that that modern art is like it critiques a lot, like you said before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, similar to that, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Peugeot says this. He says that you know, critiquing is not a bad thing, but if critiquing becomes yeah, yeah, is the central the thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so so that's I think. Yeah, where I'm really bothered by it, and what is art if it's not beautiful for me? For yeah. me, that's a really a problem, and I know that's not exactly necessary. Yeah, but when I think about about art, that's a thing. Sorry, it's yeah. a bit of a tangent. No, no, it's, it's no, a thought it's, that it's, I was going to forget. No, it's it's not a tangent at all. I think it's a it's actually super useful to what we're talking about. That it also seems that, um, and and the same goes, I guess, for for the the libertarian philosophy. Let's say because you know the freedom from like the two we've discussed yeah. freedom before is very similar to the hermeneutics of suspicion right it's mm. like it's like i want to be free from deception i don't want to be deceived by the hidden agenda it's like you know i want to i want to do it myself but then it's like oh so you want to be free to do what exactly oh you haven't thought about that and that's if you only criticize you're only focusing on yeah. freedom from as opposed to also yeah but i want to be free to do good to actually to be beautiful like and to participate in the beautiful and again i don't mean well i don't just mean beautiful in terms of physical appearance. I actually mean like something way deeper. And that's also why indeed Plato in like uh, one of his later letters, which I mean, I, uh, are thought to be authentic now, but like uh, he says like, you know, I've made Socrates more beautiful, yeah. even though Socrates was known to be very ugly. Yeah, <laughs> like it was actually like, and Nietzsche also criticized Socrates for this. Like he says like, it's strange to like, it's such an ad hominem like uh, uh, attack, right? But he's, he's like, because Socrates was ugly, that was almost already an argument against him because like he was living amongst the nobles and all these nobles like elites right like they didn't take him seriously so he had to defend himself he was yeah. like oh you know like i i'm, I'm just going to argue my way out of this yeah. um and there's something to be said for that interpretation but even but then again that's nietzsche's hermeneutics of suspicion where he's yeah. like you know it's just socrates just trying to get rid of this humiliation you know and just his own will to power but it's actually like well there's also some beauty going on but then you don't shouldn't just focus on the argument mm. but on let's say the literary development that's also going on in Plato's story yeah. um, and then you see so much more right um, let me ask you a question because you just mentioned the libertarian philosophy we spoke about it at length before mm. but what I'm seeing now a lot in this movement is that a lot of them are turning into Christians. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Massively. Yeah. So is yeah. that an example of like starting with, from mm. an angle of, say, criticizing and, and seeing like problems, Yeah. and then adopting, realizing that it's actually not enough, and then adopting? Uh, it depends, I think, okay. right? Because, <laughs> yeah. you, because you can imagine that many of these people, and, and I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to make any like final... Uh, comments or claims about this because I, I haven't spoken to these people individually so I don't know to what extent it's, it's authentic yeah. but part of the question we need to uh, ask I guess like um, one question we need to ask let me put it that way is you know like Christianity is currently countercultural. you know it's like yeah. it's like you know like the, the, the culture is, is in some ways especially like let's say the the elite culture and you know what let's say Hollywood and all that is focused on it's not I mean obviously like it's borrowing all these Christian elements but at its core there are many like non-Christian elements in it so it's hard to say that someone who is by nature let's say a libertarian who is like going against the system if they're adopting the Christian 
you know, identity as long as it's against the culture, and then as soon as the culture takes it over, they're uh, an atheist again. We'll see how that yeah. develops. So <laughs> that's a possibility, but it's also possible that indeed, like that, it, that precisely adopting that type of identity will show them, like, ah, wait, it's not about just being here or there. It's about realizing that both of those are participating in something yes. larger, right? Yes. And that you know, even if this does become, let's say, uh, central again mm-hmm. in the culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I will not leave it behind because it's not about kicking against something. It's actually yeah. about you know finding something internal underneath that. Whereas libertarian philosophy is different than that because once you're there, yeah. let's say once you have this this yeah. world that they want to move toward, there's yeah. no reason to keep like trying to put yeah. it into more decentralization. Uh, by the way, like I, I remember like uh, a long time ago, I I think it was like, I think years ago, like um, that evolutionary biologist uh, Brett Weinstein. You know, yes. like he he's he said. That he's a progressive. Yeah. He considers himself a progressive, uh, even though now like he's associated with anti-vax movements and now people think he's a conservative. But anyways, he thought of his, thought of himself and thinks of himself as um, as a progressive, right? Yeah. Uh, and he said, and I thought it was this was very this was a good point, like a very inspiring. He said, like, yeah, in my life I hope to become a conservative because if you're a good progressive, you hope to bring those things yeah. like into yeah. being that would then. Like lead you to be like, okay, now I want to conserve this. Yeah. But many, prog- just like many conservatives, cannot imagine becoming progressive because it's part of their character. That's also like you know, this is all big five yeah. personality kind of stuff. Yeah. But if you're actually, let's say, consistent, you'd be like, yeah, I want to become a conservative. Like you want to always reach a state yeah. where you can conserve. But that's the thing. Like if you're just progressive for the sake of you know, it's always progressivism. It always needs to be better. Well then. You know, what is really the positive motivation there? Are you just kicking against the current system? So that's also why I think, like, I mean, I did consider myself progressive for a very long time. And now, like, I'm always, like, let's say, floating somewhere in the political center and somewhere, like, depending on the issue, I'm I'm more of a progressive or more of a conservative. It really sort of depends. Like, I I don't, uh, I'm also not that interested in political (laughs) issues anymore. uh, Thank God for that. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, no, so, so... Yeah, but it's, it, yeah, it's it's funny that sometimes we absolutize, let's say, the left or the right, and it's such a weird thing to do. Yeah. Because you're absolutizing the relative, literally. That's literally what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Like, to go in yeah. one way. And then I'm so surprised that I only realized this. Yeah, like, yeah. Very, re- very recently. This yeah. Time. Of course. Yeah. You know, of course. This <laughs> I don't know. I think... Uh, People are gonna need some some grace when they yeah. wake up from all of this because they, this has been their identity for yeah. so long. It it's also I think it's also like it's a bit, um, again like I don't want to be too critical because these are relevant issues and they do pertain to very important decisions about our yeah. lives, right? Like like I think politics has an effect. Like I'm not at least in my, in my opinion, like I, I don't think politics is just like some kind of faux fake illusion no, it doesn't it has, a place. Over, it, it has, it has, it has a place over us um, but at the same time there's also an element about it that feels childish because I've met people who are so into politics that it's almost like you know they're supporting a sports team it's exactly like, the same no well for some yeah for, 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 for those people yeah that you're like okay I mean politics has a function but it's like you know, like, it's like, yes, we won, we won, yes, we did it, you know, like, and it's kind of, yeah. and you see those, like, election, you know, like, what, nights, and it's like, yeah, well, we, we, be, we beat the other team, you know, yeah. it's really like that kind of energy, and again, I, I don't want to reduce it to that, and even, I I think, sport teams have also a place, I actually, uh, yeah, you know, I'm very much in favor yeah. of that, but it's a bit more dangerous here, because this is really about values, so, like, let's say, you know, you and I are both, uh, but, uh, football, not American football, football fans, like, yes, uh, uh, and that, that that means to say, like, we support uh, a current, like, a team in the mm. Netherlands, and that means that we dislike other teams in the Netherlands, but it's like, that's fine, like, it's not like we we, we dislike those people or something like that, it's yeah. like, not like we're, but actually in politics, it's it's the danger that you're like, those are evil people, you yeah. know, we're good people. That's, that's actually so interesting, yeah. if, you, if you take that analogy a bit further, because you have the hooligans mm. who really hate the other team. yeah okay. that, that's that's fair yeah that's and, a good and point. so they they, they light yeah. up fireworks outside the hotel of the other team and yeah. stuff and they, they yeah. like write right. letters yeah. but i feel like nowadays in politics a lot of people are just hooligans yeah like they're no longer support and they're no longer seeing the underneath like for me what i mm. realized also only when i took yeah. some distance from football yeah is that i started to love football instead of loving the team 
yeah. or loving the winning. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. we're all here for the game. And now I play mm-hmm. um, with people that that I play with every week, and, right. and it's basically not not teams against teams. We just like hustle. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we swap out teams every yeah. week, and we're all there for a love of football. Yeah, yeah. And so if you're if you're into politics yeah. for for a love of the good, let's say for for yeah, love, yeah, yeah. For, for for that you really want society to flourish. Then of course you're not going to absolutize the left or the right. Yeah, you're yeah. Going to try to see how this can interplay. For example, in football, you have the competition to drive up the level and to yeah. produce the most beautiful football. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's that's I guess the issue. Yeah, you also like I think uh, for instance movies you have the same like you had like the Marvel fanboys or the DC fanboys like haha the DC movies suck and the Marvel movies are great and like yeah. now haha the Marvel movies suck. It's like. Well, you want both to do great, like, yeah. like it's you can also tell, like that's one fear. So one, uh, I think, I think, as, uh, especially historically great football team has been Ajax mm-hmm. Amsterdam, and they're doing terribly now. And that's like for a while, that's fun for all the other teams. Like, haha, yeah. they're historically great team, but you want them to come back. Of like, course. you want them to like, you know, really make sure that the that the whole competition becomes better, and therefore more people enjoy football, and they're. You know, and to be, a, and that's this. I think also this is to Nietzsche's point, which is why, which is where I do take him to be an important thinker as well. Like he, the one reason why he appreciates tragedy so much, like let's say, I'm, I mean, tragedy in the really the the Homeric Attic Greek sense, and that's also his his. You could see, think of it as a counter argument against Plato, because Plato is like, you know, art should be subservient. He's like, what the tragedians knew is that the whole of life should be embraced and mm. you risk and this is a risk uh, at least in certain platonists i don't think plato himself is uh, culpable to this extent but i do think like certain outgrowths yeah, of platonism of are are culpable to this extent it's just to say like you know this world is bad and just you know the eternal ideas are good or let's say from a christian perspective you know like this world is bad that's just focus on the afterlife you know and you start devaluing certain yeah. aspects that are here like and that's Right, and in Plato, like that's also what DC Schindler points out. It's like, no, it's actually you know the good is precisely those things that animate like, yes. this world here, which permeates, which is what which yes. what, what what makes it so amazing. And yeah. but still, Nietzsche's concerned because like, yeah, but what if you know if that becomes absolutized in a certain yes. religion, and then you have the death of God, and then everyone is like, well, so that wow, religion was just fake. So then this world is also useless because we thought it kept its entire value. So you're saying from that, that the death of God comes forth from the absolutization of this world that that's that's Nietzsche's that's so point yeah 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 that, that would well be I know it I, yeah. I, I know it but that's such an interesting way to look at it yeah. so it's actually the opposite of Gnosticism in um, a sense like yeah. it's, it's well yeah yeah, <laughs> not yeah, yeah. Exactly, no you're right you're, it's yeah. taking yeah. not absolutizing this but doing it like this yeah, yeah exactly yeah that's, yeah, so, that's yeah. a really interesting way to, to look at yeah. it actually yeah that's also why when Nietzsche says like okay you know he calls this like you know John, John Fake has the, the two world mythology right yeah, yeah. and Nietzsche also says like uh, yes he kind of used that same language, uh, to put it very anachronistically, because obviously Nietzsche yeah. is like 150 years ago. Um, but he says, like, you know, uh, there's one section in the Twilight of the Idols, and it's like how the true world finally became a fable. And he says, you know, it started off with Plato, like the true world still here, uh, and, and I, Plato, am the truth. That's how it starts. And you can see slowly it's like, you know, the, the true world, well, it becomes something to, to maybe think of, like it, it's still... Uh, it, it's it's still a consolation for mm-hmm. us, but you know we can't really reach it, and that's and then you have Kant, and it's like, well, you can't prove the existence of the true world, but you it you can believe in it because we can disprove it, which is like Kant's argument for God is like, yeah, you you can't prove, it, but there there can be a moral argument for God, so from it we can derive the categorical imperative. Yeah. It's a very simple way of saying it, and then at some point after Kant, obviously, like slowly we get into nihilism, and it's like. No, just full on atheism in the sense like the true world eh, never existed in the first place. <laughs> and then it's like, so, and then Nietzsche says very interestingly, so what remains? The apparent world. So let's say the world of appearances yeah. perhaps. It's like, no, with getting rid of the true world, we also got rid of the apparent world. Mm. And that's the danger, right? It's like, yeah. because if for all this time since Plato, the apparent world was grounded in the true world, then it's not like when well, this is gone, ah, oh, it's still here. It's like, no, it derived all its meaning yes, from that, right? So yes. you need to be very careful. So this with is that. where a lot of people critique this idea of walking away from the church and yeah. still rem- still having the values and all these things. Well, that, that's what Nietzsche says. Is like you think like you're still acting out of goodness, but you know, in some sense, that has gone, and yeah. and that's and to like let's say Peugeot's point and, and all that. Like you, it doesn't have to be gone. It can it can sort of 
that that I, I guess the the, the the genius of the Christian story is like there's a resurrection built in, right? Like so, yeah. it allows for the death of God. Yeah. Let's say, especially Jesus conceived as God, to then you know rise from the dead again. Like, yeah. It's it's part of the story, so you can really think of like okay, we can we like let's say like at from a Christian perspective, you can accept the death of God as being part of the pattern and actually you know rising that. So I'm I'm not against acknowledging the death of God, even though for other people that's a heresy because yeah. like no God is not death, you know like yeah. like yeah well. In some ways, he is, you in know, that like sense, in the way Nietzsche yeah, said, exactly, exactly. And then, but then you can also see, like, ah, but he might come back, and you can also see that actually, the the God that that died in that sense, yeah, had to die. It's it's very very yes, strange, yes. strange to say it that way, but like because uh, he was a demigod. Well, yeah, yeah, it, it, in some ways, and and especially the way the ways in which people praise him, like it's really, like if if you look at the dominant religion of especially like let's say the the 19th century in which Nietzsche was active is like it's just pathetic yeah and I think Peugeot says this too like that that sort of that sense of Christianity was pathetic and that's also why it's so interesting that when Nietzsche reads Dostoevsky and now the ortho bros are all happy because you know Dostoevsky was an orthodox Christian but like when he <laughs> reads Dostoevsky he's like whoa uh, he gets it you know like yeah. there's this he he is it's almost like he's combining this Greek tragedy and this and this, you know, this this great art, but then with a Christian vision, and and he says like, I, I only know of one world in which a Jesus is, is still possible. That's Dostoevsky. Like he mm. can still sort of, and that's you know, the idiot by Dostoevsky is like where he describes this Jesus character in the notion of Prince Mishkin, who very interestingly, to tie it back to our original discussion, says beauty will save the world. You know, that's yeah. uh, the notion. Yeah. yeah. What a beautiful, beautiful character that was. Yeah, yeah, it's I really, fascinating. Really like this character so much. Yeah. And that's we should know, but like it's called the idiot, right? Yeah. Nietzsche actually rarely uses that word idiot at all. Yeah. But then he reads that book, and then he uses it like a lot it, like, in the crazy. last few few years. Yeah. It's very interesting. And that also like, but then he writes the Antichrist, and he calls Jesus an idiot. So like people are like, see, like he's very much against uh, Jesus. But then there's other praiseworthy words about. It. So it's like, wait, is he in favor of him or against him? It's like, well, maybe you should think of the idiot in the Dostoevsky. Yeah, to me, he's you like know? he's connected to, yeah. to what we were speaking about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's um, really beautiful. Can you quickly check the time on your phone before I uh, right? Yeah, make people angry. It's uh, okay. So I want time. to I want to finish it off because we have Christmas dinner to do. Mm-hmm. But when I spoke to Verveki, I asked him about um, his Symphony of Sages. Right. And yeah. Now, yeah so Great this, question. This is yeah. what I really want to speak to you about because yeah. we had really interesting comments about it. Um, so he follows multiple sages, mm-hmm. all of them dead. And I asked him if there is particular value in following multiple or actually following one. Yeah. And then uh, I think you had something to say about mm-hmm. simply following Christ. And then, mm-hmm. well, simply, let's say, only following Christ. And what Verveke would say is that well, there's all these other aspects to other sages. Yeah. Um, whereas I think you had some enlightening thoughts. So I'd love to hear. Well, I mean, like what I was thinking about is, like, and, and, and this is actually inherent in Verveke's ideas, or at least his not his ideas, like even that he would, I think he would blush when I would call it his, his ideas. Like it's really like the source material that he is teaching and that he is uh, incorporating into his work, let me put it that way, um, is he is looking at the notion of agape and he says agape is that which, you know, really makes us into persons, like gives us personhood in some ways. And that's why it was the revolution. Yes, I mean, yes, it, the death of Christ, but what happened? We had like, you know, the revolution amongst, well, in like, you know, in Rome, like non-Roman citizens. And those would be like women mm-hmm. and slaves yeah. and all those people who are like on the on the margins of society. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden had a story that was like, no, you know, we are persons, like we have personhood. So if you take that aspect, right, of agape and, and, and there's something to be said for it because like, you know, Paul... Uh, uh, obviously <laughs> obviously inspired by Jesus says like in Christ you know we are neither uh, Greek nor Jew uh, this is great for um, let's say the gender progressive folks he says we are neither man nor woman you yeah. know like he says like like we're all united in Christ like he says uh, um, and this is a very important notion because it's like in some sense we are all uh, our personhood is far more is far more profound than these individual identities. So I think what is possibly conceivable by the Christian revolution is to say like, ah, 
this is all partaking of some universal history and this universal cosmic story that is setting about. So then when we look at these other sages, these other individuals, we can relate them to their, our own yes. tradition from this Christian perspective. Yeah. And I actually find it somewhat difficult to sometimes do that from those um, individuals from a non-Christian viewpoint mm. because I get fully into their world, but without the agape aspect, I actually like, okay, oh, right. I need to take the agape aspect again to really notice like, okay, yes, Spinoza is in the same story eventually as like as, as Socrates and then as, as the Buddha, as the Christ. But I'm like, yeah, but the reason why I conceive of them as all of them as like separate persons with separate identities, with separate stories and separate things to teach me, you know, it's like, yeah. is because they're all persons because I'm actually like, yes, they're all humans and they're all, you know, dare I say children of God, like, you know, yes. in the theological language. Um, and it's from this perspective that I'm like, I totally see his point. Like, I, he, he would feel unfaithful to those individuals would he not acknowledge how profoundly indebted he is to, you know, reading them and really doing Lectio yeah. Divina on them. Yeah. But at the same time, I do feel like, yeah, okay, but the reason why you're able to do that at all is because of the Christian revolution. Yeah. And I know that he puts it the other way around. He said, like, the reason why we can relate to sages like Christ at all is because of the Socratic revolution. So I see that point too. But I think specifically the agape personhood point is introduced by Jesus and therefore I think that might be more profound yeah. and allows to relate to it from a Christian perspective. But You're saying that you could also follow just Christ and then... Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, like, I think I think in some ways, and that, that this is my own personal journey, so it's, you always need to be careful with projecting your own personal journey onto the world, right? Yeah. This is uh, the great psychoanalytic insight. But my own personal journey, as I already mentioned, uh, I'm not a churchgoer. So that means yes. that uh, I'm profoundly always aware that I'm not, I'm not sure where I'm standing. I'm not sure what my identity is right now in some ways. So I can tell that there is a longing in me for a stable identity from which I'm able to integrate everything else. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, that's the danger with, you know, not having a place to stand. And this is also something that Peugeot talks about all the time. Is to be like, well, okay, you know, like, how do you then pick and choose? Is it because you are the arrogant, and he's not saying this again, Treveki, I'm just saying like, you know, but if you're spiritual, not religious, like, oh, just, you know, like a consumerist, I just pick and yeah. choose a little bit from that religion. It's like, well, but from where? Just from your arrogance, where you think like, okay, I can do that. And then we come back to, the start of this conversation where he do like, yeah, from that reasonable per reason perspective where you can do it, where you can choose it yourself, you know, it's like, no, you're called to something outside yeah. of yourself. And that's where I think, um, yeah, it's more profoundly possible from this Christian perspective. Yeah. That's really good. I hope that uh, John will get to see this. We'll see if <laughs> maybe, maybe. To say about it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, thank you so much for your time. I hope the recording went well. I just heard a little noise, but we'll see. Yeah. No, I think that was my email. But I'll oh, okay. About it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, let's. Uh, thank you so much. Get and, back and to the family. You're doing a great job, and uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and keep an eye out. I'll link the channel down below on which your talks can appear under the talk at the Breakwater Festival about Nietzsche. And I think it was very well received there. So I'm excited to watch it myself. So we'll link it down below. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir.